children. I have a friend, his name, he's a pastor, and his name is Greg Webb, and, and he's a pastor in, uh, in eastern Kentucky, and he's retiring, and he and his wife bought a beautiful log home in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. I mean, it's just a gorgeous home. And he has an Instagram account, and I always follow his Instagram account because he takes pictures from his front porch of the mountains in Kentucky. As a matter of fact, if you want to see one, you can look at uh, BethelJackson.org on the sermon notes page. And there's a picture of my friend, and I think his cat, and uh, the front portion that's in in a mountainscape, this gorgeous mountainscape. And I follow his Instagram so that I can always see those beautiful, beautiful pictures of the mountains. What we're about to do today is one of the mountainscapes of Scripture. It's one of the high points. It's a place where you really want to pull over and drink in the view. As a matter of fact, the text that we're in today in Philippians in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, was probably an ancient hymn of the church. It contains an ancient hymn of the church, which between the time of Christ's resurrection and the completion of the New Testament was probably used by the earliest Christians to express their belief in the deity of Christ and the humility of Christ. And Paul probably took that ancient hymn, which was so familiar and beloved by the people, And he built this entire book around that poem, that hymn. As a matter of fact, in the ancient Near East, it's it's often true that the main idea of a writing would be in the center and not at the beginning, not at the end. And and if that's the case, that's probably what happened with the book of Philippians too. We've reached the center of the book. The heart of the book is this passage in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 11. What we've been doing is uh, we've been preaching through this little letter and paying attention to each piece of it with, a, with kind of the special glasses on. We're looking at it through the eyes of people who want to be Jesus followers and help other people be Jesus followers. Who we, we're looking at it through the eyes of people who, who admire this Jesus group that formed in Philippi that Paul loves so much and who want to be like it. We want to get insights and inspiration, and ideas, and encouragement about how to follow Jesus, how to help other people follow Jesus, by looking at this little book of Philippians, and it's rich for that, beautiful for that. And we call our series Turning the Bethel Wheel, because the Bethel Wheel, as you probably know, is a a diagram that we came up with as the elders, as a visual way of describing our plan to follow Jesus, and help other people follow Jesus as a church. Everything we do, we, we drag it through that wheel and say, does this work? Does this make the wheel turn? Or does it not make the wheel turn? And we like to say that the wheel, the Bethel wheel turns. In other words, discipleship happens and, and, and the Bethel wheel turns anytime anybody obeys one of the commands of Jesus. Anytime anybody repents, anytime anybody believes, anytime anybody is baptized, Anytime anybody does an act of love in Jesus' name, anytime anybody forgives another person, the, if, you know, if you're part of the Bethel Fellowship, the Bethel wheel turns or discipleship is happening. 
And so it's just been rich to look at this, and uh, it would probably be a good idea for me to briefly review, and these are in the notes online if you want to see them. In, in the first chunk of this a book, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we saw that lasting joy comes from following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. Everybody identifies joy as a major theme, and that's important to us, isn't it? Lasting joy comes from following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. And the next chunk of it, it affirmed this, that is even when bad things happen to you, even in trouble, even when things aren't the way you wish they were. And the next section, of course, of course, Paul says, the thing, remember this, the things that happened to me, he's referring to being in prison, which would end in his death. The things that happened to me, God is working for a good purpose. And last week, I know you weren't paying attention because you're watching to see if you're going to get hit by lightning or if I was going to get hit by lightning. And some of you are probably hoping I was going to get hit by lightning. I, I know how people think. Um, it's like going to a race. Do you really go to a race to watch somebody win? Or do you go to a race to watch somebody crash? I mean, I'm just saying, I wonder. So last week, I think, I, I think some of you were probably, you're just kind of entertained by the crash. And I'm not sure you're listening to the sermon, but maybe I'm selling you short. But the idea there was that lasting joy comes from, that first chunk, lasting joy comes from following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. Even when bad things happen to you, even if it means, and this is the third chunk, even if it means continual suffering, and even if it ends in your death. Now, this is the kind of teaching that you wouldn't hear, you know, on some Christian television programs because it's a, it's a text you kind of stay away from. But do you remember what I was saying when the lightning came last week? I was asking you how many books there were in the New Testament, and you were good scholars, so you immediately said 27. And, and how many of those 27 New Testament books mention suffering? 27 out of 27 New Testament books mention suffering, that should tell us something. And that was such a profound point that that's the last thing God let me say last week. I was done. He was like, you are done. Go sit down. Now we know how long Jesus likes my sermons, right? At least last week he did. Uh, and we want to please him today. And so we're just looking at his book. This wonderful, it has this great backstory. It has this, these rich uh, phrases in it. And today we come to one that's just amazing. And so let's, instead of talking about it, let's read it. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Listen to what this says. You're going to see that it's, it's, a, it's, it's a conditional thing. If, then. If, then. And then you're after that, if, and then. If this is true, then do this, he's going to say. And then he's going to give us an example. And the example is, of course, of Jesus. Let's, let's read it together. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also on the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, 
so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You don't really have to watch the news to know that we live in a divided country right now. There's just terrible, heart-wrenching division in our, in our nation, really in our world. And, and for many of us, that's a personal experience too. We have, we, we have at least a mild division in our families or even in our marriage relationships. And you know what? This division, it really has affected probably almost every church in the world during this time. There's been you know, differences of opinion, a bit of division. And so it's wonderful, isn't it, to come to a passage of Scripture that basically says, let me tell you where division comes from, and let me tell you how to solve that problem. And I don't think it's an overstatement to say that. This passage is going to show us where unrighteous division comes from. And it's going to show us what to do about that. It's going to be very plain. It's going to be very, uh, it's very compelling, very beautiful. But it's very serious, too, because... What it's really going to say is that division comes from uh, pride and a, a lack of humility. Like even like church division is often, and I've been a pastor all my life. I've been involved. I've been a pastor for 40 years, and I've been in the church all of my life. And, you know, my, my mom, my, she, I think I missed once growing up when I had the mumps. rest of the time, I was encouraged. I was, I was in church. And so I, I know a little bit about church and church people, and, I, and I've noticed that even among good people who love the Lord, there's you know, differences of opinion that sometimes boil up into division. And maybe often, or maybe usually, those divisions are not about principle. They're usually about pride. That's just my theory. We usually say they're about principle, but not always. Sometimes, of course. But, but often they're about personal offenses, personal pride my ego getting wounded. These are the kinds of things that often divide people. And, and today we're going to see this beautiful text. Among Jesus' followers who want to make Jesus' followers, we've got to work continually against being divided. And this text shows us exactly how to do that. And the pride's a very ugly thing. And I, and I think maybe you know that. When I was a boy, my dad would, my grandfather would send me out to weed whip. And I'm not talking about anything that ran with a gas engine. I'm talking about something that ran with a 10-year-old boy's arms or a 12-year-old boy's arms weed whack Canadian thistles. And I would be out in the hottest part of the day cutting down, I was walking my dog today. He was insisting on me taking a walk. So rather than hear him bark at me while I was trying to study, I took him for a walk graciously there because I'm a very humble guy like that. And then I noticed there were Canadian thistles. High, they're high as my head. And I remember hacking those things down. My grandpa says, man, you gotta get, if you don't get out ahead of those, they will take over. Those ugly weeds will take over. Pride is like that for all of us. Whether we want to admit it or not, there's not a soul that walks the earth that doesn't have to vi be vigilant about the ugly weed of pride growing up in his life, growing up in your marriage, growing up even in the church. Well, it, pastors aren't immune to this at all. I know pastors, lots of them. I, I, I am a pastor. I, I was taught by a pastor once, he said, Ken, uh, he, I noticed he would park his car way out on the edge of the parking lot. 
And he would be there first, and he'd park his car way out on the edge of the parking lot. And he would walk in, and I said to his Pastor Larry Whiteford, he's with the Lord now. I said, Pastor Whiteford, why do you park your car way out there on the edge of the parking lot when you're here first? And everybody loves you. I mean, you can have your own parking place. And I found out that he learned that from another pastor friend, Dan Gillette. Uh, Dan's nephew pastors uh, over at Cascades. Anyway, Dan Gillette said, he, Pastor Whiteford said Dan Gillette taught him if you uh, park your car out there, and that way you're going to walk past all those other parking places where the people are going to park, and you can remember that you serve them, and you can pray for them. And I thought that was just a beautiful thing. And so I decided I would do that. And if I was ever a lead pastor, I would park way out in the parking lot, and then would walk in, and then I would pray, and everyone would know how humble I am. So I took a church, and sure enough, it had a, a sign that said, Senior Pastor Parking, biggest life, Senior Pastor, it's almost like a sign, it might as well have said, the proud pastor may park here, you know, and then next to it, it had Assistant Pastor Parking, and his was a little farther away, you know, there's like the king, and then there's that guy, you know, so as soon as I got there, I went to the trustees, and I said, you can take those signs down and just put visitors parking. So then I remember the first Sunday I parked way out in the parking lot. I walked past those signs and I thought, Lord, I am so glad I'm not like other men who have their own parking place. But I am a very humble pastor and I park way out on the edge of the parking lot and I pray when I come in. And I realized as I walked past that sign, I got as big a problem with ego, I got as big a problem with pride as anybody I know. I, I, I think if we're honest, maybe we probably are all going to get hit with this one today. And pride is ugly. And pride is really as ugly as humility is beautiful. The first story I remember hearing as a child in school was at uh, elementary school in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I went to, to second grade. I had a teacher I really liked, and it was probably February because she's telling stories about Abraham Lincoln. And I remember that she had a, a, a visual of this, and she said that Abraham Lincoln was a tall man, he was a large man, and that he was driving his cart in the mud one day. It was, only a, it was a narrow uh, road. And another person was approaching, and somebody was going to have to pull off the road into the mud. And whoever pulled off the road into the mud was probably going to get stuck. But Lincoln was the biggest man there, and so he rose himself up to his full height. And he said, I must insist that you take the road. I will pull off in the mud. And, of course, then he was able to pull himself off the mud. Now, whether that's apocryphal, or whether that's true, I remember this. I remember even as a little boy hearing the first story in school that I remember that humility is a beautiful virtue. It's something that we admire in people. And it's something that we admire, obviously, when we see it in, in one another. And, uh, but yet pride is difficult to eradicate. C.S. Lewis said this as a famous quote, and I think worth repeating. He refers to pride as the one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly anyone except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of it. Pride is, he said, Lewis said, it's the utmost evil. He said, anger and greed and drunkenness and all other sins are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. And it is through pride that every other sin comes. And pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Pride is a horrible thing. 
And Lewis says famously, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Sometimes pride can clothe itself in a thing that looks religious. Pride can clothe itself in a thing that looks virtuous. Pride can clothe itself in things that, like the man who walks past the sign and says, I don't have my own parking place because I'm very humble. That's a form of pride. And so um, if we look at our own lives, we'll see there is evidence of pride. And I just wrote these things down as I thought about them. Pride in, in the church, if you think about it, pride d- d- damages the testimony of the church. Pride in the division that comes from it, it damages the, the effectiveness of the church. It distracts the church from its mission. I've seen this happen over and over again. We're kind of off in the weeds, off in the tall weeds, and we're not moving forward anymore because we're kind of arm wrestling about, and it really boils down to who's going to be in charge or who's going to do what. Pride, I believe, if you listen to people that have been estranged from the church, young people that have been estranged from the church, often they're making an excuse because they want to indulge themselves in sin. We know that, but maybe often not. Some of the stories that I hear from people who have left the church and don't want to have anything to do with it, we really should probably listen to them. We really should probably humble ourselves. And maybe there's some truth to that, that they saw things at church that they didn't expect Christian people to do, very un-Jesus-like things at a place that calls itself a Jesus place. So this is important. This is serious. And so that all of us should probably examine our hearts you know, look in the mirror of the word today, which, of course, we're going to do that. So it's important insight into following Jesus and helping other people follow Jesus. I mean, think about this. If we, through the work of the Holy Spirit, can have a measure of humility that people can see, and it will attract them to the Lord. It'll be influential on our family members that we love so much. It will help people who are really looking for something different in the world than the rancor and the hatred and the division and the selfishness. Is there a group of people who really do practice the Jesus way, who really do humble themselves, who really do walk in humility and put other people first? Or is that just a myth? And so it would be good for those of us who are gathered here today, or listening or watching online or here in the cars or here in the tents, it would be good for us to ask ourselves, is is there evidence of Christ-like humility in my life? Or how am I doing in this, this matter? So let's take a look at what Paul is saying here. In chapter 2, and verses 1 through 4, it's one sentence in the original language, and it's that conditional clause, the if-then. And, and he kind of is saying, if, if you've experienced these things, if these things are, have been your experience, then shouldn't you do these things? And notice the things that he, he lists. He, he lists essentially four things. He says encouragement in Christ, that, that's the come alongside word. It's also used for the Holy Spirit. If, if anybody's come alongside to help you because of Christianity, you know, the come alongside. If there's any comfort and love, if you've ever had the experience of comfort because of the love of Christian people, if you've experienced part, what but the, in this ESV it says part, participation in the spirit, the participation word there is that koinonia word, that laboring together. And it's a rich uh, word in the New Testament and among Christian people. It's freighted with, with sweetness, significance. If you have been a part of the fellowship that only Christian people have, 
if you have been comforted by the, the love of God's people, if you have participated in the Holy Spirit, if you have the same Holy Spirit living in you that I have living in me, then on the basis of that, Paul says, I want to appeal to you to be humble and put other people, consider other people more significant than you. Put other people's needs ahead of your own. Uh, and this is what he's, he's going to say. Uh, he's also going to say affection and sympathy. My brain goes back to the King James Version of my youth. Bowels and mercies. Do you remember that? That's really not inaccurate at all. It's kind of raw, but it's very accurate. The, the affection and sympathy, the idea is something you feel in your gut. So he's saying if you've had this experience, you ever had that kind of gut feeling like, wow, you ever had this like longing for the kind of love they talk about at church? Longing for the kind of fellowship you see it every once in a while. Happened to me the other day, and I don't know if the person was a Christian or not, but it was a, it was a Jesus-y thing they did. I think I told you I was buying a sandwich for my wife, and, and I, when I was buying it for I called her. It was a rare moment of thought, uh, thoughtfulness on my part. And I said, can I bring you something home? She yeah, if you don't mind, go through, grab me this sandwich. She described it, you know. And, and when I ordered it, I thought, that's kind of pricey. <laughs> was like, and then as I drove through, I gave the card, and, and the lady did, wouldn't take the card. She said, the man ahead of you paid for it. And my heart was like, oh, 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 what? Can I, can I talk with you? Can I thank you? You know, what is it about those kind of stories that we are drawn to? Because we all, don't, we all have that experience of like when you heard about somebody or when somebody was kind to you or when you were able to be kind to somebody or when you heard about somebody that had a great need and was met by other people or when somebody was very, very sad and other people brought encouragement to them. Paul is saying, if you've had any experience like that, if you've had a taste of that, if you've had a whiff of that in the air, then I want to appeal to you to contribute to that by, he says, four things. Being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord and being of one mind. And what do they have in common? All four of those things have in common a unity, a oneness, not a division. It's find a way that we can all say the same thing, that we can all pull together in the same direction. And it's probably not going to be a political party, right? Yes, Ken, you're right. It's not going to be a political party. I'm not going to shock anybody, but there might be a libertarian or two out there. I don't know. This could happen. Oh, there we go. Now we know. Uh, I don't want to shock anybody, but there are people who have differences of opinion about who they're going to vote for or what they believe is important politically. If I ask you, you know, what team do you root for? We, we don't all root for the same team. And, uh, but there is one thing about which we should agree, and that is that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the thing that we want to focus on. Following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus should be the thing that unites us. And, and, he's, and, and every one of these things, if these things are true, then you should be a united people having the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord, being of one mind. And verse 3 says, don't do anything from rivalry or conceit. Don't, don't, don't let the church, the, the family, be based on competition. And in humility, consider others more important than yourself. Now, that one should be like a punch in the gut right there. So when you read that, can you say, oh, that's me. I always think other people are more important than me. So can, I'm going to give you a pop quiz. Can I give you a pop quiz? Okay, a lot of teachers here, 
teachers should not be complaining about pop quizzes. So let me give you a pop quiz. And that is take the name of the one you live with and put it in the blank. Right? Put it, just take that name. Like if this was Lois doing this, you should put Ken in the blank. Amen? Like Ken. Like does Lois consider Ken more important than herself? I like the ring of that. I like the ring of that. And then I should put that Lois name in there. Well, I'm not sure I like the ring of that. That's, that's harder, isn't it? Think of the person at, at work. Think of the person others think little of. Think of the person you know doesn't make as much money as you. Think of a person you think you're smarter than they are. Think of a person you really think you have more value. Jesus says, don't think of another person as less important than yourself. That's the pop quiz. Here's what I think. I'm pretty sure, can I just, I, would, I don't want to overstate things because it weakens the argument, but if I was going to overstate it, I would say everybody has that problem. But I don't want to overstate it, so I say, I bet most of us have this problem. Because there is a legitimate self-interest, but Jesus is saying the ultimate self that I created to be fulfilled completely like Jesus would be, would recognize that the way to find the highest fulfillment is through considering others more important than you. Like Jesus was more important, but he considered himself less important. And this is the example that's going to come. And this is powerful. And this is a verse four. It says, don't look just on your own interest, but look on the interest of others. Like hear that person in your life saying, I know you're interested in whatever it is you talk about all the time because you're interested in it. But what about what I'm interested in? And everybody in the world has their interests. But it's what's easy for me, I'll just be very honest with you, it's easy for me to look for people who want to hear me talk about what I'm interested in. That's true about me. Like, you can, you can be my friend. It's not that hard. All you have to do is just be quiet and let me talk about what I'm interested in, and I will think the world of you. That's just the, that's just the truth. But the Jesus follower that's really committed to the Jesus way stops and goes, wait a minute, what are they interested in? That's right in the Bible, right there. What are you interested in? So this is a thing. I mean, is there anybody here that can't make progress in that? This wasn't Dale Carnegie's original idea. It was a great idea, but he didn't make that up. He marketed it. He made some money, up, but he, it was a great idea. He didn't make that up. Are you interested sincerely in the other thing? Now you say, I'm going to have to have some help, right? Say that right now. Say, I'm going to have to have some help. You could just honestly say, I regularly fail at that. I mean, go ahead. If you want to confess publicly, you can just say, I regularly fail. You can just say with me, you can say, that's hard for me. I'm, I'm willing to say it because I'm, I'm probably humbler than you are. It's really hard for me. I'm just kidding. That's hard for me. That's hard for me. Okay, so if I were to say, that's really hard for me, Paul, Paul would say what? Well, you have the example of Jesus. Just think about him. I mean, think about him. He was very God, a very God on a throne in heaven, and he deserved the worship of all the angels and all the created things. And he came out of heaven voluntarily, and he became a person, a man, a human being. He humbled himself. And became a human being. And then Paul says, and that wasn't the end of that. He not only became a human being, but he became a slave human being. 
You know, he didn't come to be the president or a conqueror. He came to be a servant slave. And, and not just a slave, but the lowest of slaves. And then he submitted, he didn't have to, but Paul says, and beyond that, he submitted himself to death. And not just death, but the death of a criminal. I heard a pastor once preaching on this, and he said, these are the downward steps of, that Jesus voluntarily took. When he came into our world, down and down and down, from God to man, from man to servant, from servant to death, from death to death of a common uh, criminal. And that's chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. But now when you look at chapter 2 and verse 9, you have the help that we're looking for. And because of this, God has highly exalted him. He didn't just exalt him. He highly exalted him. He gave him a name, not just a name, but a name that's above every other name. And this is true. No one has ever spoken a name ever in the history of the world or ever will that's a sweeter name than the name of this one who came from heaven and humbled himself to earth, to humanity, to the slavery, to death, to execution. And God highly exalted him. He exalted him. He exalted him highly. He gave him a name above every name and at which every knee will one day bow. And the scriptures are, listen to the superlatives here. Chapter 2, verse 9. God's highly exalted and bestowed on him the name above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. The living and the dead, the spirits and the people, all will bow their knees and every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and God will be glorified. So Jesus, he humbled himself as an example. That's not, that's not the only reason that he, he died or the only reason that he came, but it's one of the things that he did. He humbled himself as an example and he trusted God the Father to raise him back to life and to exalt him to his throne. And when you get to the end of the book, that's where he is. So my question to you and my question in my own heart this week over and over again has been, are you really a Christian? Are you really a Jesus follower? Do you follow Jesus so that he'll get you where you want to go? Or do you follow Jesus to go where he's going? And Jesus went to the cross and trusted the Father to exalt him in due time. In 1 Peter, there's a beautiful passage about this. Peter got this. Likewise, to you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. That means he gives his gifts to the humble. Proud people get opposed by God. Not good. But humble people get helped by God, gifted by God. He gives grace to the humble. And then Peter went on to say, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, he will exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the question today. The question is, really, we, let's admit that we need help in this matter of humility and unity. Let's admit that we fall far short of the pattern that Christ gave. Let's admit that. Let's just, we, if we don't admit that, then we're, then we're ugly with pride, right? We're, de we're desperately lost with, in pride. But let's admit that. And then let's look to, to Jesus and let's trust like he did. If I humble myself with my wife, if I humble myself with the people that I work with, if I humble myself under the elders of the church, if I humble myself under the government authorities, come on. 
Will God exalt me? Can I trust God? Can I trust God to give me the gift of eternal life? To give me the, a home in heaven? To right every wrong in my life? Can I trust him? Or do I have to wrestle that down? Do I have to wrestle those blessings myself? Do I have to exalt myself, promote myself, defend myself? Or can I just trust that Jesus will exalt the humble to where they belong in the gifts that they don't deserve? That's the, that's the issue. And this should take us to the foot of the cross where all of us should admit who could say this? Who could say, I have perfectly done that? Who could say, I have perfectly done that since I've been saved? Who could say, I'm a great example of doing that since I've been saved? Amen. So, so you see, what I'm getting at is this. Why did Paul put this there? Well, he put it there so that the people would be united by looking at the example of Jesus. But the overall message of Scripture is bigger than that. And it comes to us very strongly when we recognize that we cannot ever perfectly obey God's law to humble ourselves. We can't. And no one ever has, ever, except for one. And his name was Jesus. And when we see that this pride is ugly and that humility is beautiful, and I only get a taste of it every once in a while, I only, I only walk in humility and eschew pride from time to time. But Jesus always did. And when, I, when you die, whose righteousness are you going to be depending on? Whose humility are you going to be depending on? You'll, you'll have the option to say, I'll depend on my own humility, which, of course, is, there's a name for that. What's that called? Dumb and pride. Pride. If you depend on your own righteousness, when you could depend on the righteousness of Jesus who perfectly fulfilled God's law, what a fool. What a fool you are. What a fool I would be to do that. So, yes, we have this pattern. We have this example of Jesus. If you want to be unified in your marriage, and you want to be unified in your family, and you want to be unified as a nation, and you want to be unified as a church, then look at the example of Jesus and follow hard after Jesus. But when you fail, fall at his feet, confess your sin, and know this, you will die without ever having perfectly obeyed God's law. And you will go into the presence of God, the judge, and you will be judged on the basis of your sin unless you throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus and why did he come down from heaven? And why did he leave the throne? And why did he humble himself? And why did he die on the cross? Not just to be an example to us. He died on the cross to pay the price for our ego, for our sin, for our pride, for our division. Thanks be unto God. We had a man come to the character inn, this, this big inn that uh, I, my family and I got a chance to work at. And this man volunteered to work there. And uh, his name was Russell Williams. A few months ago, he went home to be the Lord. But Russell brought his big family. And he was retired, and he lived in the Washington, D.C. area. You may remember that I once told a story about him. He was, a, he was an African-American brother, and he was denied entrance to a church in the South when he was home on, he's a sailor. And he, and he watched the service through the window. The amazing humility of this brother. And it was a delight for him to come, and he put himself under my authority, and he said, 
however I can work here, whatever I can do. And he's a smarter man than I was, very accomplished, and he accomplished a lot, and he's a very wonderful Christian man. And he said, whatever you need, if, if my family could come and serve, we want to volunteer. I'm retired, and I want to volunteer to come and serve. So he moved in to this big inn. And one of the things that we did is we had these plate-served meals. And some of them were huge, 1,500 plate-served meals. The Serving them, preparing them was really hard. Cleaning up after them was torture. It was just awful. My favorite job was going out and filling people's coffee uh, I was, because it's a social thing, right? And so I was filling coffee one day, and the MC of the banquet said, oh, look, there's the director, you know. He's humble. He's out filling coffee. I was, like, he, I, I was like, no, no, that's not what's going on. What's going on is I gave myself the best job. I'm out chatting people up and filling coffee. The guys in the back room that are scraping the plates and putting that stuff in the back, those are the guys that you're not going to see them. And those banquets would go late into the night. And one night, one of those banquets went late, late into the night. And the business end of that dishwasher was a big, big sink, a big double sink, where you had to go nose to nose with all the filth and grime and dirt. And, and you were scraping those plates down to load that dishwasher. That was the hardest, dirtiest job. I hated that job, and I avoided that job. I mean, I didn't have to do that job. I was the director. About 2 o'clock in the morning, I was walking through the kitchen after a big banquet, and I looked over, and Russell Williams had his back to me, and he was bent over that sink, and he was scraping those dishes, and I heard a voice. Not an audible voice, but you know the voice. Do you know the voice? And the voice said, Ken, go help him. And I'm like, he's not looking. I'm tired. I'm the director. He wanted to serve, and the voice was very persistent. <laughs> you go help him. Have you ever heard that voice? As I prepared this message, I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if in exalting and lifting up Jesus Christ to people who I'm sure struggle with division and pride like all of us do, we would hear a voice, and that would be the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, why don't you start all over to serve your wife and consider her needs more important than yours? Why don't you think about your husband Still thinking about yourself right now. Why don't you put others better than themselves? And when you struggle, why don't you look to Jesus, who's a perfect example of that? I hope that today you hear that voice. I did go over and help Russell. I mean, I, I felt like the Lord made me. And uh, we had good fellowship that night. It didn't take that long. And we got all done, and we went up to our beds, went to sleep. Years later, I was invited to speak in Indianapolis, and past, uh, Russell Williams and his family had gone to this training center in Indianapolis to work. And I was invited to go down there and speak at a Chris, Christmas banquet. And I spoke at the Christmas banquet, and I gave some of the memories of being at that inn on Flint. After it was over, Russell Williams' son, Micah, was a photographer. And he came over to me, and he said, Pastor Pierpont, my dad's over here. He would really love to have your picture with him. Would you come over here so I can take your picture together? And I went over there and stood with Russell Williams, a man who really was a more Christ-like man than myself by far, and had my picture taken. And when he went to be the Lord, it was a delight to me to see that picture, that fine Christian man, and remember hearing that voice. Imagine a, a marriage where people heard that voice every day. Like, imagine what that marriage would be like. What? Imagine a dad or a mom 
who frequently listen to that humble yourself voice. Imagine an older sister, an older brother who treated their other siblings, you know, in a, in a humble way because they heard that voice. Imagine a church of people where the people took Jesus so seriously and loved him so much that they got quiet and they listened to that voice that said, humble yourself. You call yourself Jesus' people, so be Jesus' people. How wonderful would it be? Imagine a place like that. I want to send you on your way with a blessing, with a benediction, if you will. And so pray with me. May God grant to each of us grace and wisdom to humble ourselves. May we live together in peace and the God of love and peace be with us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. God bless you.